We pass the stranger car, the skimmer under the chart. No windows open on the bar, no windows open in your heart. Let me taste it, let me touch it, let me kiss it, let me suck it. On the clock as you wish, cause it's the shock of the fish. It's where the end of starts, it's like a friendly dart. My friends are up in the cart and still alive in higher art. Let me taste it, let me touch it, let me kiss it, let me fuck it. Take a stop of the sitch, it was the shock of the fish. Claim he found it in the back of an F-150, shifty, nifty, and thrifty, but ain't it, can't it, did he give me?
welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, April 17th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was a track by the band Commando called The Shock of Gary Fisher. You can find that on uh, YouTube. It's a great video illustrated, uh, put together by John Sanborn, and that was Juba Kalamka on vocals. And that was done in memory of Gary Fisher. And we're playing some more, at least one other track from Commando. Uh, later on on the program as well some other music from local musicians typically i've done i was in the phase of playing records on the show and since the library is currently closed and i've uh i haven't gone through all the records i have but uh it's easier for me not to bring records into the studio let's put it that way so i thought it'd be great to highlight local musicians and also you can find them on Bandcamp, many of them and please do support local musicians and Yes. I haven't meditated this morning, so we'll see how it goes. I did come in, I showered, made myself breakfast, did my best to wipe down the studio, so we'll see. Again, it's at first I was really hesitant to come in, maybe like a month ago. I've lost track of time, but as you know, the weeks have gone on, it becomes a little bit easier in some ways, and I kind of know what to expect, and I've made a... This, like the other Fridays, are... It becomes like a ritual in a way, and I'm grateful to be here. I'm gra- grateful that the station is still here, and if folks would like to donate to the station, that would be super helpful. Go to mutinyradio.fm. There's, uh, you can also donate on Venmo as well. There's also a GoFundMe that's up, so please do if you're able. We'll be providing a lot of links through the show of places to donate. There's also a GoFundMe for Lion Martin that's up, which is an incredible clinic, and last week on the show and also a few weeks prior, we played – speakers from the protest the rally that happened outside Lion Martin in late March and if you don't know it it's an awesome clinic it provides care for trans folks and women and non-binary folks and it's just a super affirming uh, queer space and it also provides health care for folks who are unable to pay and <sighs> it's they really need some funding right now so you go to GoFundMe and type in Save Lion Martin, you should be able to find it. And that's L-Y-N-L-Y-O-N-M-A-R-T-I-N. I've had some coffee today, but still feeling a little bit slow. So we'll see. I didn't prepare as much as I would like to today. So, again, we'll see how it goes. I'm grateful to be here. we got a couple guests calling in. And we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco. We're in the Mission District. And we're on Ohlone land, and there are plenty of resources that folks can access to learn more about the land we're on. Ramatosh.com, and that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.com. Also, I want to encourage folks to pay the Shumi land tax, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I land tax. And also, there's another site that um, folks can go to called Illuminatives.org, and that's I. L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-V-E-S dot org. I just began following them on Twitter, and they share a lot of information. And you can follow them on Twitter at underscore I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-V-E-S. Okay. Sometimes I begin with a rant. Uh, Things are pretty scary out there for numerous reasons. It's not just that the fact that there's this pandemic and there's a virus, it's more how some folks are handling it or, or not handling it as the case may be. People in positions of power who believe that folks should die for capitalism. Not them, of course, but other people. 
and it's similar to wars. It's just it's in a way it's just a, an extension of what has already been happening since the birth of this country. It's setting people up to die in war so other folks can get rich. It's imprisoning people, keeping people away from their loved ones. It's not providing clean drinking water, even though there's the funds and the resources to do so. It's hoarding wealth and food. Uh, not providing access to health care. Like, there's a shortage still of PPE. So masks and other resources for nurses and doctors who are treating people and all healthcare staff, as well as other folks, people who work in grocery stores, delivery people, transportation, folks who do transportation. There's a lot of folks out there who are on the front lines um, ensuring that folks get the help that they need and they don't have the resources that they deserve. Yet there's still plenty of money for the military to go and cause harm abroad. And it's just... In a way, it's like, yeah, this is what folks have been saying for a really long time. So there's that part of me, like, I don't know how I can still be disappointed if I didn't have a lot of faith, if any. I don't really have any faith at all, but there's still that piece of me that does have hope, which is that somehow if enough people recognize what's happening and how it's happening and show up and support each other, we can push back against it. The problems, of course, are that folks are, they're people in positions of power who use a lot of fear-mongering, and there's a lot of propaganda. I also don't want to downplay the role of propaganda, and that's the part of the, I think that's a, a huge piece of it, too, is that they're sharing misinformation. They're, it's racist. There's still been attacks against Asian and Asian-American folks here, and it's really the, the folks in positions of power who are causing all the harm and the people who are hoarding their wealth, people who have billions of dollars. Well, some folks are, they can't afford rent or they have to, they feel like they have to, it's an only option for them is to go out and work a job, which is really dangerous right now. So it's, and then also fuckface. I think I've called him fuckface before. Someone on Twitter recently was like, I'll pay 20 bucks to someone, a reporter who calls him fuckface. And I'm like, I've, I'm pretty sure I've called him fuckface. Not to his face. However, we're on the air. Pretty sure I've gone through the gamut of insults to call this piece of shit. And also recognizing that it's a system in place that has gotten him to be this way. And his father was also, like, a fucking problem, too. So it's kind of like, not like it's just one person who's causing all this harm. It's a whole system that allows people in positions of power to lie, to cause harm to others. And so recently he has, as of this morning, was encouraging folks to, like, fucking go and, like, protest outside governor's offices or mansions to go reopen America or whatever. And it's like, n no, no. And, you know, it's like, of all the things to fucking protest, we should be, and there are people who are protesting getting folks out of jail and prison because it spreads very, the virus spreads there. There have also been people who are, you know, righteously protesting, ensuring that unhoused folks are housed. There's a lot of empty hotel rooms and empty houses in this country. There are folks who are protesting to ensure that healthcare workers, as I mentioned, get the, the help that they need. There's also folks who are workers who are striking to ensure that they are compensated for their work and they, they can work in a very, and hopefully a more safe environment where they are cared for. And so those are all things that folks should definitely, I you know, protest for. However, they're the folks who are just kind of going out there saying that they, because they are so in love with the idea of bootlicking and or capitalism, it's kind of interchangeable, 
they are putting themselves and others at risk and they've showed up with guns. It's fucking, it's a disaster pretty much. But again, this is what happens when people don't question authority figures and don't think for themselves and don't listen to scientists and doctors. So that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, uh, well, that's, that's where we're at. I don't have a big, big rant about it. It's, it's frustrating. It's sad. It's discouraging. And, you know, that's, it's kind of where we're where we're at. Sometimes I feel a little bit better after I've shared here, and I just kind of feel kind of eh. kind of mopey, I suppose. Uh, perhaps some rage will come through m- later on in the program. I do have some music to play and folks calling in, as I mentioned, and I also will most likely be playing pieces of a conversation that was shared by Haymarket Books yesterday which was awesome i didn't get to see all of it but i want to watch all of it and so we'll be playing that also throughout the program right now i'm going to go through my twitter bookmarks and these are just articles or stories that i saw that i bookmarked at the time i've gone since doing the show i've just kind of gone through different methods of (sighs) tracking all the information i want to share sometimes i am more organized than not and i found this to be one way I can just kind of go through and share uh, info. Wow, I am, I don't know why I'm so down. I mean, I do, and also that my, that 15-minute bike ride, which wasn't that, now feels like, usually it's like, or I should say months ago, it was like, okay, it's like a 15-minute bike ride. And now it's like, oh, because I'm not getting as much exercise. So I'm like, oof feel a little bit winded. I only had one cup of coffee today, and it's waiting for that to kick in. So I'm going to share um, an article that talks a little bit about the protests against the COVID-19 restrictions. And again, yes, of course, one should you know question what we're being told. And also, uh, if it's corroborated by scientists and doctors, it's probably best to uh, be like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea for us to, to stay in. Okay. So this is from The Guardian. This was shared by Jason Wilson. Follow Jason on Twitter, and you can find this at theguardian.com. <laughs> Oof. You can also follow Jason on Twitter at Jason underscore A underscore W. And this came out today, Friday, April 17th. I will be reading it for the first time out loud. So I will be learning as I'm reading. The right-wing groups behind wave of protests against COVID-19 restrictions. So also, find out, follow the money. Protesters in Michigan and other states claim to speak for ordinary citizens but are also supported by street-fighting far-right groups. Yikes. And then they have some photos. The people are, some of the people are wearing masks, so it's like, what, you know, like either, like obviously you, you recognize something's going on, but why are you out and like, anyway. Dumb. Okay. A wave of planned anti-lockdown demonstrations that have broken out around the country to protest against the efforts of state governments to combat the coronavirus pandemic with business closures and stay-at-home orders have included far-right groups as well as mainstream Republicans, or I should say more mainstream Republicans. While protesters in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and other states claim to speak for ordinary citizens, many are also supported by street-fighting right-wing groups like the Proud Boys, conservative armed militia groups, religious fundamentalists, anti-vaccination groups, and other elements of the radical right. Gross. On Wednesday in Lansing, Michigan, a protest put together by two Republican-connected not-for-profits was explicitly devised to cause gridlock in the city for a time 
and for a time blocked the entrance to a local hospital, which is, of course, fucking ironic considering they always were, they would, you know, wave their, wag their finger at other groups for, you know, at like Black Lives Matter and other protests that are righteously blocking the roads. Um, however, not, you know, blocking hospitals, which this group is doing. Ugh, so fucking hypocritical. Okay. It was organized by the Michigan Conservative Coalition, which Michigan State Corporate Filing Show also has also operated under the name of Michigan Trump Republicans. It was also heavily promoted by the Michigan Freedom Fund, a group linked to the Trump cabinet member Betsy DeVos. Boo. But the protest also attracted far-right protest groups who have been present at pro-Trump and gun rights rallies in Michigan throughout the Trump presidency. Placards identified the Michigan Proud Boys as participants in the vehicle convoy near the state house. Local radio interviewed a man who identified himself as Phil Odinson. In fact, the man is Phil Robinson, a the prime mover in a group called the Michigan Liberty Militia, whose Facebook page features pictures of firearms, warnings of civil war, celebrations of Norse paganism, and memes ultimately sourced from white nationalist groups like Patriot Front. The pattern of right-wing not-for-profits promoting public protests while still more radical groups use lockdown resistance as a platform for extreme right-wing causes looks set to continue in events advertised in other states over coming days. In Idaho on Friday, protesters plan to gather at the Capitol building in Boise to protest antivirus restrictions put in place by the Republican governor, Brad Little. The protest has been heavily promoted by the Idaho Freedom Foundation, IFF, which counts among its donors, dark money in quotation marks, funds linked to the Koch brothers, such as Donors Capital Fund. And a quick note, uh, the book Dark Money by Jane Mayer has a lot of information about the Koch brothers. It's also available on audiobook. So please, if you're up for reading and or listening to a book, check out Dark Money by Jane Mayer. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, such as, okay. So linked to the Koch brothers, such as Donors Capital Fund and Castle Rock, Unfortunately, not like Castle Rock, the movie company. I mean, it's fortunate that they're different, but it's like I'd rather, I don't know. I think movies like Stand By Me do better for the world than this group here. Okay, Castle Rock, a foundation seated with part of the fortune of Adolf Kors, boo, the right-wing beer magnet. IFF have added their slogan for the event, Disobey Idaho, to stickers which they plan to distribute among the crowd. I'm going to take a break and make my own comment. If these people want to do that, like, I'm all for folks doing whatever they want to do. However, when you begin to infringe on the rights of others and begin to um, put others' lives at risk, as well as the doctors and nurses who these people will ultimately end up going to when they do get sick, it's really fucked up. Okay. Oh. The event is also being promoted on a website dedicated to attacking Little for his response to COVID-19. That website was set up by the Idaho businessman, pastor, and one-time Republican state Senate candidate Diego Rodriguez. Rodriguez launched the website at an Easter service held in defiance of the governor's orders on Easter Sunday, which was also addressed by Amon Bundy, the leader of the militia occupation of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in 2016 that became a rallying point for the anti-government right in the U.S. Again, of all the things to fucking protest the government about, we could be, be protesting about ICE, we could protest, be protesting about war, we could be protesting about prisons, about poverty, about homelessness, lack of health care, food deserts, not having clean drinking water, defunding public schools, defunding social services. There are so many things that one can and should be criticizing the government about, yet they're going to be like... <laughs> criticizing 
about methods that are known to keep people safe. Okay. Also, the when the the government also supports fracking and all that bullshit, like the environmental chaos that they're causing. Oh, and like bailing out the banks and big companies and letting workers just suffer. The militarized police force. Oh my gosh, there's so many things to be upset about. And it's like, ah, the rage is so misdirected and it's really frustrating. Okay. I wasn't planning on interrupting this article as much. However, I got a lot to say about it. All right. Bundy has been holding similar gatherings for weeks in Emmett, Idaho, where he now lives. On Sunday, he repeated his opposition to the Idaho orders, writing on Facebook, we all have a duty to defend what is right and to make sure... I can't even fucking read this nonsense. I can't even... Am I going to read it? I'm not going to read his quote. Ada County, Idaho, where the capital, Boise, is located, has so far suffered 541 cases of COVID-19 and nine deaths in a state which has a far worse outbreak than neighboring Oregon, which is 2.4 times more populous. Nevertheless, these morons persisted. Okay. Nevertheless, the ad for the rally on Rodriguez's website advises... We feel that wearing face masks and gloves is counterproductive to the movement and should be avoided. Oh, okay. Okay. In Washington State, meanwhile, which has now, which for now has brought one of the worst outbreaks in the country under a measure of control, a Republican state co- committeeman, Tyler Miller, has organized a protest at the state capitol on Saturday. Miller, who is active in the Kitsap County Republican Party, was involved in passing a resolution in January in support of Representative Matt Shea, who was excluded from the State House's GOP caucus after a report commissioned by a House found he had participated in domestic terrorism. Hundreds of Facebook users have indicated that they will be attending this hazardous liberty rally <sighs> and a parallel event in Richland, Washington. Included in that number are members of the 3% of Washington, a group which has held a series of open carry rallies in Seattle, Featuring speeches from the far-right protest leader Joey Gibson, as for Shea, he is speaking on Saturday at an online Saving America conference, which will discuss an alleged erosion of rights that's been ramped up in unprecedented ways during this COVID-19 crisis. He's scheduled to appear alongside the likes of close ally Pastor Ken Peters, all these fucking pastors, interesting, uh, who has been holding monthly services outside Spokane's Planned Parenthood Clinic, motherfucker, Ugh. The actor, mega personality, and congressional candidate Mindy Robinson and the New Zealand-based anti-communist speaker and author Trevor Loudon. Fuck you guys. Other similar events have been, they're literally using their platforms to put people at risk. Disgusting. Other similar events have been advertised for Saturday by an anti-vaccination activist in Oregon and for Friday by a Boston group with alt-right connections. Well, this sounds pretty fucking terrifying. And again, this is how fascism goes. You got people in positions of power who are... And it's also just... This has been happening for fucking... This push has been happening for fucking decades. When you have war criminals allowed to walk free and be allowed to hold office and cause great harm to communities, spout their white nationalist, violent rhetoric nonsense... This is what fucking happens after some time. Other people feel empowered. And I get that there's a lot of fear out there, but again, uh, it's misdirected. All right. I'm going to take another music break here. 
and look for some more articles to share. This is another song from Commando, and this is uh, Lenny Breedlove, and Lynn posted this um, yesterday. You can find that on YouTube, and I'm going to see if I can find where else folks can uh, support these artists. And the song is called Prince, and it's a really awesome video. Again, you can check it out on YouTube called Prince Commando, and then also look for John Sanborn. It was 82. Me and my girl, we did it one time, said I love you, moved in together. That's how you did. Never considered people might think an interracial couple was something. We were in that love bubble, and it was Oakland, full of black people, white people, no big. 83. We moved to another hood in Oaktown, an apartment building. Still stood out as the black and white dykes, still didn't care. Driving her 64 Chevy pickup, I heard this pornographic falsetto song and thought, whoa, who's this chick getting so personal on the radio? And the DJ said, that was Prince singing, do me baby. And I said, oh shit, I need to pay more attention to this gender fucker. We moved to the white neighborhood. Still standing out, still not caring. But I think it started to wear on us a little, especially her. Being the only white dyke in a black hood was different than being the only black dyke in a white neighborhood. 84. My best friend from high school told me he was positive. I got off the phone and broke down. I sat in the living room that year under the Gone with the Wind spoof poster of Thatcher and Reagan with the mushroom cloud in the background. Watched Mad Max, Brother from Another Planet, Liquid Sky, The Hunger, Christiana F., and Sid and Nancy six times each before returning them to the video store. Drank a million buds and slip and slid with our pals and our wife beaters and mirrored cop shades before they became wife pleasers. We most definitely were wife beaters beating the hell out of each other over a free bass pipe. Sat in front of grandma's converted TV console, high lacquered cherry wood cabinet full of records and a turntable. Drank myself silly to Howlin' Wolf and Lightning Hopkins and Gil Scott and Susie Quattro and the Beat 52. For hours listening to Prince's controversy, turning the album cover over in my hand, analyzing, did he really mean it? Did he love us that much? Was he really saying this? Am I black or white? Am I straight or gay? People call me rude. I wish we all were nude. I wish there was no black and white. I wish there were no rules. We were all alone in a world where Christians wanted us dead. There was Prince, Coke and whiskey and starfish and coffee and let's go crazy and jack you off and Annie Christian and Purple Rain, a cult crossover hit and Under the Cherry Moon, pound by critics, but he could do no wrong, and ruffled shirts and romance and them dykes on stage, his spitting image, girl versions of him, a narcissist dream of straight acting queers fucking the mirror like there might be something going on just like... Us and our pals, brown and black and white, bags and dykes, passing joints, disco, sexy. Even if there was a plague, one big cuddle party. Didn't feel lonesome. It felt right. And like motherfuckers better make room for us because 
If they didn't, we were coming through anyway. Led by the most fearless, least fucks given motherfucker on the planet. With all the moves and a voice that could go from girl to boy in a second. If he wasn't intimidated, neither were we. 89. Me and my records got tossed on the street because I got high and everyone was mad. 2016. I'm ashamed now more than I was that day. Because when I look to pay homage to the man, I gotta go on the internet like some kind of poser. Because I never bought new Prince records. The night after he leaves us, it's full moon. I put on when dubs cry, but I keep stopping in the middle because everyone in the world is playing it. Because somewhere along the line, we all lost our records. The clouds are all over the moon. She's real big behind that cloud cover, I can tell. I light the candles and say, come out, you gotta call him home. Clouds part. I say, sorry, Prince. I lost the records. Sorry. It's not that I ever stopped loving you. I just thought you'd always be there. video by John Sanborn. You can find it on YouTube. If you type in Prince Commando and it's on John Sanborn's <sighs> YouTube channel. <sighs> okay. Back to some news. I'm gonna scroll down a little bit and the next article I have bookmarked is from Illuminatives. And uh, they share both NDN Collective and Decolonize Wealth, and that's Decolonize without a, the second E, Wealth, have set up rapid response COVID-19 fundraisers. Hear what they have to say and donate to their relief efforts if you want to help. And this was shared by Mike Painter at PaintMD. And I'm going to uh, click on this link here. Moving a little bit slow today. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Here we go. And uh, am I? Oh, it's the computer's moving a bit slow. Thanks again for tuning in. Appreciate it. Please do support the station, mutinyradio.fm. You can also support the show in particular. We've got a Patreon up, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. If you'd like to share anywhere from a dollar a month to donate would be greatly appreciated. It all goes to paying the monthly dues here. Also, you can donate to me directly at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And I'm just going to reload this. Okay. So this is a video here on YouTube. It's about COVID in Indian country, a conversation with indigenous leaders. And it's a little over an hour long, so I'm going to play a little bit of it. And if folks would like to continue listening, uh, please do check it out. It has been shared by at P-A-I-N-T-M-D on Twitter.
Uh, Lear is writing about the Crow Nation's courage and radical rethinking of what courage and hope is and means in, in the face of the, the cr of crushing onslaught of colonization. Um, basically talking about redefining courage and what he says is, it's one thing to dance as though nothing has happened. It's another to acknowledge that something singularly awful has happened, the collapse of happenings, and then decide to dance. So with that, let's head on to our conversation. I just, I mentioned I'm from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and our foundation work is a large foundation in the United States. We work with people anywhere we can find them around the United States and the world to help build a, a healthy, more equitable future for everyone living in the United States. We focus intensely on helping people generate and build health equity so everyone has that fair and just opportunity to live a healthy life. Um, and that means that we care deeply about indigenous communities across the United States. So today we have a, a terrific group of indigenous entrepreneur leaders, as I said. Most of them were Skull World Forum fellows. Uh, I don't think Edgar was, but Edgar was an amazing plenary speaker in Oxford last year, so we've included him. Um, uh, I wanted, before I hand it over to you guys to introduce yourselves, um, I want to, uh, folks on the audience, I know you're going to hope, I know you're going to have questions, and when you do, you'll see the, the Q&A, the question button at the bottom of your screen. Just go ahead and submit your questions there, and we'll, we'll get them, and we'll get to them. You can start right now, and we're collecting them, and hopefully we'll, we'll pivot it in the last half of the call and get to your questions. So, on to our speakers. Um, Crystal, you want to go first, introduce yourself? Hi everyone, um, my name is Crystal Echohawk. I'm a citizen of the Pawnee Nation um, of Oklahoma and Kickahawkee Band, and I'm the executive director of Illuminative. Who's next? Who wants to go? Megan Hopkin, I'm a doc yuppie, Nick Pilsen, I'm a doc uh, this is Nick Filson, I'm the president and CEO of the NBN Collective, and I'm calling in here from the from God's country, right here uh, on the Pinehead Indian Reservation, part of the Oglala Lakota Nation. Happy to jump in. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Edgar Villanueva. I'm an enrolled citizen of the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina. Uh, speaking with you today from my home in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I serve as the Senior Vice President at the Schott Foundation for Public Education, um, as well as the founder of the Decolonizing Wealth Project. Eric. Good morning, my relatives. Uh, my name is Eric Rode. I'm a physician, and I'm currently calling in from my office at the hospital at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Great, thanks everybody. So let's just jump right in here. Um, I'm just gonna throw a couple of questions out to, to the group and you guys can go around the horn and just um, quick reactions or you know however long you wanna uh, spend on it. But it's it's sort of building on that sort of hope theme um, from, the, from uh, Lear's quote. I just want from each of you, like we're going through this incredibly painful time, both at society at large around the world and then specifically in indigenous communities. What's your highest hope um, as we go through this for indigenous people? And then the, the flip of that, what's your, what's your worst fear, your, 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 worst, your, your most major concern? 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, go ahead. Um, what is my biggest hope? I, you know, I think my biggest hope is that this will be our finest hour as, as Native peoples um, and that this, we will remind ourselves of how strong and resilient we are, how innovative, um, just every, all of these things, I think our own power, you know, how we're just gonna stand in our own power and our leadership um, and not only take care of our, our people and our communities, um, but where we can also be really thinking about our larger, you know, community of humanity and how we're, there's, I think there's gonna be connections and, and, and bonds hopefully forged. Um, and so that's my biggest hope. I think my, my biggest fear is about the invisibility of native peoples. Um, and, you know, as we look at, you know, the economic responses and, you know, med obviously the public health medical responses, um, that is my deepest fear, is that already as Native peoples, we uh, are challenged by huge issues around invisibility and erasure in society, which is what our research has really shown. Um, and that that already was a, a major issue and it feels bias and, and racism and a lot of different things. And so in a moment like this, in the midst of the pandemic, really invisibility becomes an issue of life or death. Mm -hmm. Well, anybody want to grab that? I can jump in. Um, I mean, I, I think my biggest hope is this is about a pivot. Um, I mean, I think that I think that the reality of this situation is we've been living in this unsustainable financial system, unsustainable economy, unsustainable uh, approach that's not regenerative for human beings, it's not regenerative for Mother Earth, and um, and in many ways, this is a this is a this is a result of that unsustainable approach, and so it requires all of us as humanity to shift in these in these moments. Um, we know that the past model has left out indigenous people, as that 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 economies and countries have been built on white supremacy and the uh, on, on the backs of indigenous people and African American people and uh, Latinx folks, and so this is an opportunity to shift towards a more equitable future, you know, for all of us. And in understanding that, even in these moments, uh, that we have a huge opportunity that is before us. You know, are we going to bail out the existing system that is in place? Or are we going to build a new one? And um, and so I think there's an opportunity here. So my biggest hope is that we um, that we that we are stronger from this, um, and that also it allows us to. Um, achieve many of the things that our organizations, our communities, our tribes, our nations have set out to uh, achieve before this is happening. And to, uh, because we're not just doing it for ourselves, but we believe that that, that moving towards a more regenerative based um, economy and system is better for all people and Mother Earth. Um, you know, my, uh, in the second, second half of the question was the biggest fear. Uh, and my biggest fear is that we don't. My biggest fear is that Indigenous people are left unseen in this. You know, as this, you know, everybody has this struggle, and that Indigenous people left or continue to be unseen in this situation. That uh, there's a lack of investments that continue to go to our, our people. The, um, that the health crises that exist in our communities continue to say the same, and then we don't pivot. And so uh, that's my biggest fear: is that you know that that our partners and folks out there, you know, that they, they don't see indigenous people as essential for solving the world's problems when I feel like we are and we have a lot to contribute. Um, and some of my biggest fears, you know, that's one of my biggest fears. Um, and, and then just the other one is, 
really about, uh, it, it's about the threat of this disease to our elders yeah. and the correlation that, you know, an average age of indigenous speaker is about 71, 72 years old. That's how I know it, that's the age on Pine Ridge here. Well, that's the exact demographic that are highest, uh, you know, at highest at risk in this situation. And so there's a huge threat to uh, protecting our elders and the, and, and the preservation, protection, and revitalization of indigenous languages too. So that's something to me that I'm thinking a lot about during this time as well. Yeah, I worry about the, the elders very much. Yeah. Edgar or Eric, you guys? I think from my perspective, my greatest hope for this is that um, new ways of leadership and new leaders are brought to the forefront of how we as humanity solve our problems and solve our challenges with everybody in mind. Kind of echoing what Nick said, but we can't continue on this path and keep choosing the same leaders with the same ideas over and over. And I think that my greatest hope for this is that people will rise up, people whose leadership will be recognized potentially from you know, different vantage points um, and perspectives that will bring a richness to the entire world in a way that's different than the way things are going right now. Um, I think my greatest fear at this moment is that indigenous people in North America stand to be burdened gravely by this compared to other communities. Um, Indian country, as far as like health resources and other resources are, is already like overtaxed and overstretched and, and I think that in this time, we stand to lose way more people and to suffer the greatest in North America from this, just given the, the trends that we're seeing right now. That's my greatest fear. Yeah. Um, I'll add, I think that you all have shared um, hopes and, and shared uh, fears as well. Um, I have been thinking about just the conversation um, as people are looking towards solutions and um, those ideas that are, are coming from uh, what I think of as an indigenous worldview or the way our way of life and the, the way that we see that we're inherently connected. And I think this crisis is bringing um, you know, our, um, our, it's creating space for um, a different way of seeing human rights, right? And so my hope is uh, for indigenous people is that uh, we do get that visibility and a recognition that our worldview is the path out of this mess. We've always known we are resilient people. We have survived pandemics through the, through the generations and, um, you know, genocide and horrific um, traumas in our community, but we're still here. And I think there's something really special and unique about that, um, that I hope, um, you know, we get to share with the world. And there's a major shift from an extractive, exploitive economy to a, a, a new way of, of figuring out how we uh, thrive as, as, as folks who are in this 21st century um, inherently in, interdependent upon each other. 
And I think my fear is that, um, you know, hopefully we, we, we survive all of this to be here to lead, to lead that way. Um, I am gravely concerned about the, how vulnerable our communities already were before this pandemic with uh, many communities having a lack of access to, to safe water, a lack of access to healthy and, and fresh foods, um, a lack of access to high quality medical care. And so um, I know the folks on this, this call have already been working around the clock to um, move resources and support to our communities who are already um, marginalized by uh, government support, marginalized by philanthropy, and uh, many of those who control access to power and resources. So um, my, my fear is that in all of this, with so many needs being brought to the forefront, that we will get pushed um, to the bottom. Because if anything, um, for me, this, this pandemic, this moment of crisis has really exposed uh, the inequalities in our system in, in a way that, that are, um, you know, super concerning. So, so that's my fear, um, but I'm also hopeful because I know that uh, we're going to make it through this. We always do. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks to all of you. Uh all right. So that was like the first few minutes of this video. Again, you can find it on YouTube. And it's uh, COVID-19 in Indian Country, a conversation with U.S. Indigenous leaders. And it came out on April 1st of this year. And that's the with the, the Skull Indigenous Fellows. And that's S-K-O-L-L. So you can find that on YouTube. And it was posted by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. All right. So I want to share some more info. There's always so much to get to on the show. So I hope to share lots of pieces of info and lots of voices. And if folks um, have the time and energy, please do uh, follow up. Next up is from the TGI Project. You can follow them on Twitter at TGIJP. Call to action. This was posted yesterday, but it's today. Um, from 11.30 to 1 p.m. So it's call at Nancy O'Malley, DA1, and at Sheriff Ahern. Demand that they release people in Santa Rita jail now. COVID-19 is growing fast and put those inside at risk. Hashtag free them all Santa Rita. Hashtag free them all for the number four public health. Stop gender discrimination of cis and trans women and gender nonconforming folks released to community transitional reentry programs, CCTRP, uh, and release people vulnerable to COVID-19, and they have a guide. If you go to bit.ly forward slash CCTRP toolkit, again, bit.ly forward slash CCTRP toolkit. Next up, um, it's music. Uh, here's the music. This is from the San Francisco Symphony. I don't think I've ever played them on the show before, but I thought this was a nice thing to, to share. So I'm going to play some music that they've posted, and I'll introduce it first. Uh, this is a violinist, uh, Chen Zhao, and his wife, Carrie Abrams, show us how shelter in place with a breathtaking at-home performance of Rachmaninoff's Daisies. Hashtag music connects. So it's a like a two-minute, little over two-minute video from the SF Symphony.
right, so thanks to the SF Symphony for sharing that. Next up is from Commune Mag, Commune Mag, excuse me, and that's at uh, Commune underscore Mag. How this movement will interact with the unfolding coronavirus pandemic remains to be seen. The sudden onset of COVID-19 has violently reconfigured the politics of motion. And the article's called A World Without Fairs, No More Turnstiles and No More Borders. Um, I'm going to take a look at this and share a little bit about it. This is from the issue number five, winter 2020 issue of Commune Magazine. Um, it's a longer article. Looks pretty awesome. So some photos. And I'm just going to scroll down to the bottom here. And the writer is from New York, or lives in New York, and is mentioning a friend of theirs in Chile. And they're talking about the protests about the MTA, how the MTA in New York were spending money on cops, which is obscene, and the FTP actions that were happening. So I'm going to scroll down to the middle of the article. And again, you can find this at communemag.com, a world without fares. The FTP fa actions have been a raucous rejection of increased policing and in subways or anywhere else. FTP 3 occurred on January 31st. Promotional propaganda for the action went viral almost immediately after being posted. One an announcement about the action was even retweeted by Donald Trump Jr., poorly recontextualized as a dig at New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. The demands set forth by DTP have remained consistent. Cops out of the subway, free transit, end of harassment of vendors and performers, full accessibility for people of varying abilities. And so, yes, supporting all of those. There's more information in the article. It's a longish article. So do you want to share that with folks if you'd like to read up on it? And it's written by Andy Battle. So, again, communemag.com. Lots of other articles there as well. Next up, um, announcing for the... Pronouncing this, I'm sorry. Gwarls Emergency Relief Fund, and that's G W R O R L S. We are launching an emergency relief fund to assist black trans folks in New, J New York, New Jersey, with getting to and from pharmacies and clinics and paying for copays. And you can apply at the tinyurl.com forward slash FTG medical fund. And folks can donate, um, uh, I guess it's Cash App, um, the number sign, dollar sign, FTG medical fund or on PayPal, ftgmedical at gmail.com. And for more information, check out um, tinyurl.com forward slash ftgmedicalfund. And you can also follow at four, the number four, the G-W-O-R-L-S. And they say a special, special thanks to at Black Trans Travel and the Okra Project for helping us launch this fund. We are very appreciative. Okay. So lots of places uh, where folks can um, donate and or ask for assistance. And also I want to share the, the live document I've been sharing for a while now. Really, it's a big mutual aid document. It continues to grow every day. And it's an international document, though mostly focused here in the United States. Or whatever you want to call them, United States. I don't know. We're not really united. Um, I like to call it like the United States of victim blaming. I feel like there's a lot of that. Um, bit dot li forward slash covid19 collective care oh is that it i believe so covid19 collective care yes there's a mutual aid doc it's in google 
and you can there's like just so much information and so many links like each link brings you to another page with another resource and a whole there's just a lot of different categories listed there so if you're looking for some assistance and or you want to help um, I feel like a lot of us are on, on both ends of that there's things that we can do and things that we need help with uh, that's a good resource again bit.ly forward slash COVID-19 collective care alright next up okay this Oh, this thing already happened. There is still, though, want to support the uh, shutdown 850. Um, um, yes. So I'm going to 850 Bryant. Ah. The information, if you go to the No New Jail, No New SF Jail Coalition, if you go to no new, no new org, you can find much more information. So you can also find updates of the work and take uh, and find ways to take action as well. So again, uh, folks, especially in the Bay Area, no new sfjail.org, and also there are similar. There's also New York. I mean, I I feel like since I used to live in New York and have connections there, there's also I hear more about what's happening there as well, and just the the idea of pushing to close Rikers, and a lot of this is that incarceration does not help anybody. So I also I am. That brings us to one of the other clips I was going to play, and it's not so much a clip, but more of a video. And oh, I'm ti- I haven't done much today yet. I feel tired. I guess I'm talking a lot. So I'm going to not talk for a little bit and play a little bit of this um, video, an interview that happened yesterday, and lots of really good information, and I want to hear more of it. So this was put on by Haymarket Books. Please do donate to Haymarket Books. They are a great publishing company and they also just create events like this and this is um oh my gosh this is like the part two i need to get to the part one goodness um so this is with um what is the food of the right here it's a virus i see part one part two and part three there's a lot of them okay so this is COVID-19, Decarceration and Abolition, an evening with Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and it's hosted by Naomi Murakawa, and this was posted by Haymarket Books. So it's separated into three different parts. You can find it all on YouTube, but please do donate to Haymarket Books um, for, you know, putting this together. So I'm going to play a little bit here. Again, it's, I believe it was like at least an hour and a half long, perhaps, a discussion. There's a lot to talk about. So... Um, going to fast forward a little bit to the beginning and the introduction and uh, folks want to check out the full um, the full video again please go to YouTube and it's uh, (laughs) well it loads Uh, you can go again follow Haymarket Books on they have posted it on their YouTube channel, so you should be able to find it there relatively easily. Again, COVID-19, decarceration, and abolition. I don't know about other folks, but I feel like, yeah, I might as well just talk while this uh, goes. I'm, I mean, I, I've been reading a little bit, but like I really have to read like kind of fluffier nonfiction than usual. And it's my vocabulary and my spelling. It's just, it's all taking a hit right now, I think, because of so much stress and so much anxiety. But there's also so much to learn. Hi, welcome, and thanks to everyone joining us today from Portugal, Canada, Argentina, Brazil, 
Scotland, Australia, Italy, South Africa, and all around the world. I'm Naomi Murakawa. I'm the author of The First Civil Right, How Liberals Built Prison America, and I'm moderating today's conversation. Before I introduce Ruth Wilson Gilmore, I want to thank the organizer and sponsor of this teach-in, Haymarket Books. Haymarket is the publisher of a new series called The Abolitionist Papers. I'm the series editor, and I'm proud that the inaugural publication for the series is Dr. Gilmore's forthcoming book, Change Everything, Racial Capitalism and the Case for Abolition. Haymarket has three more important events lined up this week. On Sunday, the launch of Krista Franklin's Too Much Midnight. On Wednesday, a discussion of remaking schools in the time of coronavirus with Wayne Out, Jesse Hagopian, and Noliwi Rooks. And on Thursday, a week from today, Arundhati Roy in conversation with Amani Perry. Just a bit of housekeeping. With so many people joining this call, we may need your patience if we have any technical issues. If your stream gets choppy at any point, you might want to try reducing your image quality. This video will be recorded and shared afterwards on the Haymarket Books YouTube channel. And we are reserving time for Q&A, so please post your questions on the live video feed wherever you're watching it. Now let's go. Arundhati Roy tells us that the pandemic is a portal. It forces us to break with the past and imagine the world anew. Some responses to COVID-19 foretell a future that is only doubling down on criminalization, the policing of national and subnational borders, and even more surveillance now sold to us with the message that total surveillance is good medicine. But as we try to imagine a different world, and as we fight for our abolitionist future, there is no one I'd rather hear from than Ruth Wilson Gilmore. She is the co-founder of many organizations, including California Prison Moratorium Project, Critical Resistance, and the Central California Environmental Justice Network. She's professor of Earth and Environmental Sciences at CUNY Graduate Center. Dr. Gilmore is the author of Golden Gulag, Prisons, Surplus, Crisis, and Opposition in Globalizing California. It's a brilliant study that locates prisons as the foundation of a new kind of state the anti-state state, where elites dismiss the idea that government can or should guarantee social well-being. Her work has been featured in dozens of journals and books, including Verso's Policing the Planet, edited by Jordan Camp and Christina Heatherton. And her new book, Change Everything, Racial Capitalism and the Case for Abolition, is forthcoming with Haymarket in February 2021. Thanks so much for being in this live stream, Ruthie. Thank you for having me. With COVID-19, many are pointing out that detention is death. Can you start us off by giving us the bigger picture on the relationship between prisons and inequality? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, my dear friend, Catherine McKittrick, who I think is listening from somewhere in greater Toronto, recently cited the fantastic poet and lawyer, M. Norbeza Phillips. Norbeza said, if we were truly all in this together, we would not all be in this together. And this is a message I think that we can use as our starting point tonight in talking about COVID-19 mass incarceration and the struggle for abolition. 
Mass incarceration and the related forms of detention that uh, connect to it is a feature of places that have the deepest inequality, the deepest inequality. And we have one slide to show you tonight, um, a slide that shows a list of the founding nations of NATO. Now, this slide, which was created by the Prison Policy Initiative, perhaps the greatest data collection, visualization, mm -hmm. and spreading organization in the United States, and one of the great ones of the world, shows us that even in the context of, the NATO, of NATO's founding organizations, the United States is off the chart, mm -hmm. quite literally off the chart. And what holds this together? What holds together the possibility of mass incarceration in the richest country in the history of the world is a combination of organized abandonment, which is to say austerity, and organized violence, which is to say criminalization, policing, prisons, detention, deportation. Now, we can take the slides down if people are, are um, satisfied with its image. We could, but we're not going to tonight, also look at images from the BRICS, that is to say from Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And we would see a similar pattern emerging where no one, no country, is remotely close to the United States, but as Russia and uh, other countries of the BRICS have followed increasingly neoliberal policies, which is to say the policies of organized abandonment, the policies of austerity, we see the number of people locked up rise and rise and rise. Mm -hmm. But as I said, the United States remains off the charts. That said, abolition actually is not a recitation of catastrophe or a culture of complaint. Indeed, catastrophe and complaint, if that's all we do, are the kinds of practices that induce in many people who are listening what my friend, the historian Daryl Scott calls contempt and pity. Mm -hmm. And abolition is not looking for contempt or pity. What we are doing rather is this. We're trying in every possible way to find a way to politics that rather than being distinguished by, as the sociologist and novelist Edouard Louis says, uh, politics distinguished by style, we're looking for politics that really are grounded in the struggle over life and death. So Edouard Louis is a French, young French writer, and he wrote a fantastic book I recommend to everybody called Who Killed My Father? And it's in this book that he makes this distinction, politics as style as against politics as life and death. So what does politics as life and death mean for abolition? Well, abolition is presence. It's already happening in so many ways, in so many places around the world. And many of the people who are listening in tonight and watching tonight are already doing the work 
and are stumped as many of us are because so many of us are under some version of shelter in place slash house arrest, and yet the work continues. Now, CLR James teaches us that revolutions happen because people are so conservative. Conservative. He says they wait and wait and try every little thing until one day people come out in the street and clear up in a matter of years the disorder of century. Now, when Arundhati Roy says that COVID-19 is a portal, this might be the portal through which people who are doing all kinds of little things mm -hmm. of various kinds around the world come out and clear up the disorder of centuries. My uh, friend and comrade Ayana Maria of Rust Belt Abolition Radio lifted up a mention I made the other night of the Black Panther Party for self-defense motto, survival pending revolution. And she thought and named a discussion that a few of us had on abolition, Rust Belt Abolition Radio the other day, um, that we could think of what we do as survival pending abolition. Mm -hmm. Survival pending abolition. So that means that the work behind and the work ahead is very, very long. I'll give you an example. Um, in Los Angeles County, decades ago, the ACLU brought a conditions of confinement case against the county for the horrendous conditions in the jails. Over the years, the ACLU was in charge of of, of taking care, uh, keeping an eye on what the county did to remedy the horrific conditions. About 18 years ago, the ACLU invited a few abolitionists to come and talk to them about something they had never imagined, which was perhaps the way to remedy the problem with the LA County jails was not to have a jail at all, rather than to build a better jail. Slowly but surely, this way of understanding became central to the struggle in Los Angeles County over those jails. 16 years later, abolitionists who joined forces with the forces of reform managed to persuade the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, one of the biggest governments by number of people in the United States, not to build new jails, but rather to put the billions of dollars that would have gone into that, into housing, healthcare, and other life-affirming projects. So abolition is long, abolition is present. Abolition is how we connect with, form, grow from, and multiply organizations that have the capacity to lift the movement. I learned from Vijay Prashad many years ago that our main work, we who are talking heads sometimes on Skype, our main work is to lift the movement not to lead it, to lift it. 
to lift it by showing how anti-domestic violence people were central to the formation of abolition uh, as a movement, that mutual aid organizations, which are now flourishing everywhere because of the emergency of COVID-19, that unions, food, healthcare, nurses, building trades, all of these organizations have become, in one way or another, connected with the movement in the direction of abolition, because abolition is about abolishing the conditions under which prison became the solution to problems, rather than abolishing the buildings we call prisons. There are faith organizations, neighborhood organizations, artists organizations, tenant organizations, prisoner organizations, inside and out, libraries, environmental justice, legal aid, transit workers, rights advocates, public health advocates, bail funds, you name it, large and small. All of these people are coming together in various configurations around the world to try to relieve the stress of organized abandonment and its realization as organ through organized violence by changing the world in which we live. So that is the big picture that connects inequality with abolition and mass incarceration. Okay, so here we are, decades deep in organized violence and organized abandonment. And now, enter the COVID-19 pandemic. What are the political possibilities now? And what might the pandemic mean for the future of criminalization, police, and prisons? Well, certainly the pandemic is focusing everybody's mind. There's nothing like fear to focus the mind. And the fear has uh, many, many aspects to it. And therefore, the responses that people are putting together are um, in many ways quite astonishing. Uh, for example, um, just to take one uh, very pointed uh, case, some uh, people, I think mostly students at New York University Law School, put together a sheet, uh, a guide, for uh, all of the state jurisdictions and the Federal Bureau of Prisons in the country to show who actually has the authority to release people so that people uh, who are organizing on the ground could focus using this power map on those who could in uh, a brief amount of time make the decision to release people. Uh, what we know about mass incarceration is that it is class war and it is as class war very tightly knotted to the vulnerabilities that the types of organizations I listed a few minutes ago and the kinds of organizing they do are trying to relieve. Labor unions are trying to relieve certain kinds of vulnerabilities as are housing advocates, as are prisoner rights advocates, as are people who are incarcerated who are advocating on their own behalf families, communities, and so forth. We could spend some time perhaps uh, thinking about the fact that in the United States, over the period 
that mass incarceration has become this catch-all solution for a wide array of social, economic, behavioral, and other problems, the number of prison beds has gone up as the number of hospital beds has gone down. That the, the, the movement in the opposite direction is quite startling to me. And as many people have pointed out, those who are against and those who are for the um, configuration of hospital and healthcare in the United States today, we still see the fact that many, many areas of the US are underserved, if served at all. Places that have the capacity to take care of people are overwhelmed because of the of cuts to hospital and healthcare. And the workers who are uh, working in hospitals, working in transportation, working in all of the sinews of the system to try to keep people whose lives are in danger from becoming sick and dying are struggling with inadequate resources when the resources could be there. So what can we think about in terms of organizing now? Certainly, a lot of the work that uh, many people have done uh, concerning rural workers, vulnerabilities, should and can be lifted up now. Whether we're talking about the MST in Brazil and the landless workers who have been organizing for years, both to have access to land, to produce food and well-being and to live and have shelter, but who have also built an enormous um, educational program for themselves and others that has uh, very strong international connections throughout this hemisphere and indeed around the world. Or in the U.S. South, the Highlander Center, which in Tennessee since the 1920s has been a central place for uh, uh, organization, anti-racist, pro-working class organization. And they will have a, a program on, I think, right after we log off tonight, starting at 7 o'clock on the Black Freedom Movement. 7 o'clock Eastern time. Um, similarly, when we think about housing, I, I can give a fantastic story about a young abolitionist artist called Sheena Griffiths, who's based in New Orleans. So after Katrina destroyed a good deal of everyday life in New Orleans, and then the anti-state state came through and destroyed what hadn't already been destroyed by the floods and uh, the rot, Shana and some of her comrades got together and said, we are going to create a housing trust so that a few households at least could have a safe, secure, and pleasant place to live. So they knocked them. And welcome back. Got a caller here on the line. Gonna bring up the Hi. Hello, you're on the Weekly Review. Thank you so much for letting me invite myself, Roman. <laughs> I'm so oh. happy to be here at the <laughs> Weekly Review. It has to keep out of work. Yes, and then you have a show tonight, yes? I do, and it's so great because, you know, 
it's uh, when we say at a show, you know, make yourselves at home. Uh-huh. Tonight we'll be saying literally make yourselves at home because that's where <laughs> everybody will be. It'll be a virtual show. <laughs> Excellent. So how can uh, how can folks uh, watch? Yeah. So this is the you better work comedy. Which has been taking place at the San Mateo County Pride Center every third Friday of the month since October of 2018. And all your beautiful listeners have to do if they want to laugh, especially in these trying times, what we want to do is bring some laughter to everyone, is go on to my website, which is www.hesusyoubetterwork.com. Excellent. How has, how, ha- I mean, we spoke. I mean, I saw you on Marga Gomez's show a few weeks ago, and that was excellent. Thank you. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. How has how has the shelter in place been for you? Shelter in place has, uh, you know, it's not been bad. I have to say, I'm like everyone else, adapting to something new and working from home. Um, you know, or pretending to, and <laughs> <laughs> well, just adapting. Yeah, I've uh, I live with my mom, you know, because I'm Mexican and I'm only 39 years old, so I have about 20 more years before I'm expected to move out. And so we have been we've created our you know little routine here where mm-hmm. we go for our walks. We have our four cocktails. So you know I have zero complaints to be honest. Um, my only complaint, of course, is that hopefully this pandemic goes away sooner than soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I have, you know, fortunately I have food, I have shelter. Yes. Uh, have, you know, some of them say shelter in place. Well, a lot of people don't even have a shelter to place in. Right, so right. Um, so really, I don't know about you, Hunty, but it's been, like, even more of a, high, you know, highlighting just how bad things are outside when yes. you see those that don't have somewhere to go. Yes. So it's, if anything, you know, I think it's really influenced perspective and to see things differently. So as far as I go, thank you for asking. I'm, I am more than okay, especially Good. once I verbalize about it. So, uh, but I just hope that, you know, we the wake up call for everyone, not just to shelter in place and stay healthy, but also assist those that need more assistance than we do. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. It really does, you know, bring out the, the inequalities that already exist. Yeah. It's, but it's like, you know, it's, um, I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, help someone, uh, you know, that you have to pull money out of your pocket or something. But because I know these are also, you know, with a health crisis comes a financial crisis, but it's not always about money. About if you have like an extra loaf of bread mm-hmm. that you can give someone, or even just being informed and passing that information along, that goes a long way. Word yes. of mouth. Definitely. I mean, that's how everyone found out that I was easy. <laughs> I mean, if it weren't for that, then I wouldn't have such, you know, great sex life. <laughs> Where the power of the mouth to verbalize. But I never talk with my mouth full. It's rude. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm always silly. But you know, I really do mean um, what I, of course, what I'm saying about this whole, you know, international pandemic. 
Yeah. And it's... I'm sure like a lot of people, you know, I have a little extra to hold on to now on my way. I just turned 39 yesterday. And, oh, uh, happy, happy belated birthday. Gracias. No, happy birthday. It's so weird. It happens once a year and it's just like, when is this going to stop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're the, the we're the same age. Say, what happened? We're the, we're the same age. I'm also 39. So. Yes, this is work. Well, I don't know if this applies to you, though, but, you know, you hear people complain a lot about getting older. Yes. And for me, it's fine, girl. I mean, I can still bend over to the front and touch my toes. It just takes me a little bit longer to get up, but I can still do it, which is the, you know, which is the bottom line for me, the power bottom line. <laughs> um, my thing, though, is that I did not know that your waist size is supposed to be, like, trying to match your age, too. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not cute. Uh... But, you know, I'm trying that when you're working from home and you your refrigerator is literally steps away. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 10, 15 minute breaks, you know, it's uh, used very loosely. Yeah, I definitely I can certainly relate to that. And just in terms of not going out very much and not getting as much exercise, certainly. And then also I'm definitely like food is my drug of choice. So if I'm feeling kind of sad, comfort. that's like the first place I turn is, is the refrigerator. I'm not even going to talk about the orgy that I had last night with my refrigerator. It oh, was, yeah? No one should ever see that. Oh! Going on, which is not typical for me. Oh. I digested. I mean, even Reader's Digest was there. Wow, everyone was invited. Yeah, well, because I was digesting so much. Yes, I bet. <laughs> and despite that, I can't even concentrate, you know, with everything going on. Even orange juice made out of concentrate was there. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all up on my uh, thighs. It was crazy. Aww. <laughs> Aww. You, now, are you right now physically on Mutiny Radio? I am. I mean, it's... I mean, you've been here, so it's like, you know, it's like a small space, and it's only... Yes. Even before this, it was only usually just me in the studio anyway. So I kind of come oh, in okay, okay. with my gloves on, I wipe down the surfaces, and... Yeah, it's, it's, I feel it's, and it's also we're like allowed, technically allowed to be here since we are providing a service, you know, providing radio to be on. It so, is essential. Yeah, so I feel grateful to still be here, and it's like my one, the one thing I still do that's like still happening on a regular basis. So it, it's also just been helpful, like mental health wise, just to have this recurring place to come in once a week and to have to be able to do the show still. I agree. It's you're an artist. So that type of outlet is it's what keeps our blood running. Mm-hmm. Just like with an athlete, you know, they'll probably, you know, put on that, pop on that face mask, hopefully, and then go out for that jog or, you know, really get physical and stuff like Olivia Fignewton John. <laughs> but us, we need to stay in touch somehow with humanity. No yes. If it is the radio or not necessarily in person, but just have that, that, uh, that air, that life supply. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good just to like talk with folks too. Like it's really good to hear your voice. It's always good to hear your voice. Oh, gracias. Always oh, good to hear yours. And good to connect. Because I think now since like 2015, I believe it was. Yes. Yes. Oh, God. I've already given my age, but you know, I was, I was only like 25 back then. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> People don't remember things anyway. Everyone's having a difficult time concentrating again. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us well, a little that's bit? Great that... I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, what were you going to say? I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the show tonight and if you know of any other folks who will be there performing. Yes. Well, you know, the You Better Work Comedy Fiesta has always been the correct pronunciation, has always been focused on, uh, you know, booking our primarily LGBTQ plus identified uh, stand-up comic lineup mm-hmm. um, for tonight's first ever digital episode or vi- digital version of the You Better Work Comedy Fiesta. Uh, it is an all LGBTQ plus identified lineup. Of course, we have our allies there because, you know, about the allies, I would always be single. And yeah, so I mean, you know, looking in the trying to look in the positive side of uh, having to shelter in place and do a lot, a lot of things, including entertainment digitally, uh, we were able to I'm able to book comics uh, outside of the Bay Area. Yeah. So, Tonight, for instance, we have Jonathan Cerda Rao, who's in Los Angeles, as well as, as, well as Michelle March in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Anika Dell, uh, that'll be uh, popping jokes all the way from Berlin, Germany. Wow. Okay. Um, and I think it comes with sausage emoji emojis. <laughs> and then, of course, we have our local Justin Lucas. Yay! And from Portland, Oregon is Eddie Sue. And then I'm your host. Yay. From Redwood City, California. <laughs> Excellent. That sounds like an awesome so, yeah, lineup. I mean, that's and you know, you're very familiar with the, uh, the 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 craft of stand-up comedy and the community and so forth. So it's of course we don't have a stage and we can't be in person, which is uh, uh, unfortunate. But nonetheless, you know, we're creating our own stages at home and hoping to bring some laughs yeah. to everyone in the comfort of their own. Home. Indeed. It's so needed and it's so appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm just just doing my part, you know. And of course, you know, there's no uh, – it's free. It's a free show. The performer's um, payment app information will be provided in case anyone's Great. able to make $1, $2, $3, very similar to how Marga uh, set up her um, Marga and Friends brunch on mm-hmm. Sundays. Yeah. Uh, digital stand-up comedy extravaganza. So, because every dollar really does count in case anyone's able to, um, you know, make a financial contribution and help support your artist. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, um, 7.30 p.m., of course, are, you know, people say PST. I say California, USA time, just to be very specific. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and, yeah, that'll be it. I mean, you know, all in all, it's what the You Better Work Comedy Fiesta uh, has always been about, which is to showcase uh, a nice variety of comedians and comedic styles and bring entertainment laughter smile people yeah especially in these times indeed and i also do like that it's that folks from all over the world can not only participate but also watch so in a way there is that way of bringing even more people together than there would be if this wasn't happening yeah exactly and you know (laughs) interestingly enough um Friends who are local who have been like, oh, I'm going to go to your show. I'm going to go to your show. They've been saying that since 2015 when the show premiered at the Great Watch <laughs> Cafe in San Francisco, California, uh-huh. um, are planning to attend tonight. So I'm like, I'm just really happy. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, my God. People that have are visiting the Bay Area have come to the show in person. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. But, you know, <laughs> it's just a funny little thing. Yeah. But, no, I'm, I'm really excited because um, it does seem like it's going to be a good – well, it's going to be a fabulous time, nonetheless, yes. because that's, you know, because I've, I've put in enough time to to tell myself that. <laughs> I 
but it's exciting to, to see who's going to be in there. And of course, you know, uh, you can be casual about it. It's all good if you want to just pop on in and see maybe just uh, one or two comics, and then go about your, you know, go and visit your kitchen or something. Mm-hmm. And like in certain rooms and so forth, and it's all good too. Um, but just you know, tune in and and see what happens. It's our premiere with going digital, so um, it'll, I mean, I'm sure even a technical difficulty if it happens is going to be funny too. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if one of my jokes doesn't land, or you know, more than one, which is um, uncommon for me, whatever. Um, I'm just going to blame it on technical difficulty. I'm like, no, I think there was a bad connection, and that's why you didn't laugh. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> Nice, excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, but yes, thank you so much for for letting me uh, give a shout out there on the weekly review for the You Better Work Company. www.hitsusiebetterwork.com. It's going to be via Zoom and Facebook Live. Excellent. Great. Lots of ways to watch. Mm-hmm. Lots of ways to watch. <laughs> and I'm also providing um, it's a really cool thing. So you could, I don't know, I don't know, like tech talk, but um, you can even do it uh, via peephole. Oh. A little app thing. So, you know, if you, you know, to, to cater to all types of uh, tastes. Nice. I haven't heard of peephole before. I mean, I've heard of a peephole, peephole, but not app. an app called on peephole. Your, on your computer screen, it's. It, it makes everything look like if you're looking through a peephole. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I call it the um, the the you better work peephole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my peephole is broken. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh my good lord! I'm so happy that you're still doing the weekly review. Yeah. In general, but especially. Um, you know, during this time that a lot of discouragement is uh, really testing us. So yeah, props to you, Roman, for Thanks. going. It's a uh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot to review. Oh yes, that should become the daily review right now. It really could. I mean, it okay. would definitely like exhaust me, but like there's so much. I feel like the past also. It was always the case where like, oh, this week feels really long, but now even more so where. I can't keep track of what happened when, and there's always so much information that's, you know, it's like, it feels like it's been a really, really long few months for sure. You know, there's a lot of information, daily, even sometimes like hourly changes that say the exact contrary of what we just said. I mean, I just feel like this, like Corona just wanted to enter a pageant titled Misinformation Pageant 2020. <laughs> That's and good. he's going to win, or he, or they, because yeah. I don't even know Corona's preferred pronouns. No, no one asked. <laughs> no one asked. It's true. But then again, Corona didn't ask anybody if they didn't mind an international pandemic. True. So I think there's always the exception to the rule. We need to talk. Yes. <laughs> there's always an exception to the rule, and I mean, it's been real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. How are things right now in like in San Francisco? Because I haven't been there in a minute, and I'm only like yeah. 25 miles south. I mean, it feels like it's like when 
it's a holiday or Burning Man and like things are less crowded. So there's still people out and about, but it's a lot less crowded and a lot less traffic than usual. And right now there's like the Board of Supervisors, um, spawn, you know, like the Coalition of, on Homelessness and a lot of folks and activists have like been really pressuring the mayor to put unhoused people in empty hotel rooms because there's all these yeah. empty hotel rooms and there's all these people who need housing. So right now, like the Board of Supervisors recently, this past week, passed, like unanimously passed legislation to do that, but they're just waiting on the mayor to sign it and to enact it. So that's kind of what's happening here now. But it's like, yeah, it's interesting to be in the city. And then, you know, for grocery stores, there's always like lines outside and people standing six feet mm-hmm. apart, which is good. It's just a different way of of living. It sure is. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to adapt. That's what I'm it's, Yeah. It's just less Yes. going on. And I know that San Francisco Pride was canceled. Um. A lot of pride celebrations are San Mateo County mm. pride celebration is uh, it's not canceled, but it's going to be presented um, virtually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, and I was like, am I the only one that's not that upset about San Francisco pride? Not no, you're not. Like, no so many folks. <laughs> so many folks are like, yep, okay. I mean, I thought it was. I thought I was um, a teenager ready for the past five years because <laughs> that's really what I saw. I thought yeah. it was straight pride for a moment, all tea, all shade. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it is unfortunate, but uh, I think it's, my opinion, more unfortunate for the pride celebrations that really still are primarily community-based. Yeah. Where it's county organizations like health organizations, LGBTQ plus focused organizations, um, those for families as well. Right. Like those kind of celebrations, which, you know, Contra Costa County, I think is a great example. I got to perform there. Oh, cool. And I was like, it was just like, you know, like mom and pop shop um, booths up there. And it was obviously a lot smaller versus San Francisco. Um, And the entertainment were like local artists. So, I mean, that's what I feel San Francisco, I mean, excuse me, pride celebrations really are rooted in. Right. Because right? it was like, it started out being a political protest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of aspects to it. But yeah. Where did, where did, becomes more important. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I was wondering, where did the Contra Costa one take place? That one was, that was a couple of years ago. Um I don't uh, Antioch maybe. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a drive mm-hmm. uh, for sure. So hot that day, but uh, it was just so fabulous to experience a pride that was. I mean, there were like families out mm. there, and it was just it was just chill. You know, you could walk without being smushed. Yeah. <laughs> That's always been a good thing. Like, yeah, I mean, San Francisco is it's obviously a beautiful city. It's a city that I've been, you know, where I've grown and blossomed. So many great things about San Francisco. The Pride Celebration specifically, though, it's just, I've, in the past maybe six, seven years, I've seen more bad versus mm. good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Girl, there was one year where I saw a physical assault. Zero police ever came. And it was a vendor that got assaulted because... 
someone felt that they didn't have to pay for the butterfly wings for their girlfriend. Oh. It was. Wow. It was just not cute. It was. I mean, there's just a, a lot of aspects of mess. Yeah. With San Francisco Pride, but you know, because I mean, but if they call, you know, to want to like book me, uh, I'll be like, oh, <laughs> I never said that on a weekly review. That was the other Hastings you butterfly. That's so weird. We sound so the same. Hello? Huh. Roman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was just, I was um thinking about Pride and just, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, hello. Oh, oh no, no. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I was just, yeah. The oh. Pride and Scientologist has gotten a hold. <laughs> yeah. Radio has that interesting, it's that weird medium where you really, like, I have a tendency to kind of just, you know, leave space and have time to, like, reflect on things and unfortunately with this medium it's difficult because then it's like oh it's it's an audio medium and there's there's nothing here what's going on yeah. and uh, i'm just I'm sitting here like, being like huh? Inter- huh and i was like yeah thinking about, again about pride and everything and I, I also grew up in contra costa county so i was thinking of like how even though i was kind of far from antioch like oh that would have been cool if that had happened while i was growing up there right yeah you know that's that's a good point. I'm not sure how long it's been in existence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did get the feeling that it was newer. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, there was a turnout. It was – you could just, you know, feel the the community. It was yeah. like people knew each other. And, um, again, you know, like local vendors were there. And, you know, in terms of entertainment, the bigger pride celebrations – well, because it's heavily sponsored, we're mm-hmm. both like major acts. Yeah. And some local um, artists here and there for the specific stages, like Spectrum Queer Media. Yeah. You know, for, for Oakland Pride last year, uh, Sam Tim McCormick and myself hosted the community stage at Oakland Pride 2019. Awesome. awesome. No, it's going to take place this year, but. That, that's also a fabulous example. That was like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Very true to the community because unity is in all caps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, stage for Oakland Pride. Oakland Pride is that, – that, I mean, that was fun. San Francisco Pride is, is fun too, but it's – there's just a lot more to have an opinion about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because it's – it's a compact city. Yep. Um, so to accommodate that many people and to be that famous, you know, for being a, a great pride celebration, it's, I, I, I think it's just too much for the physical space of that city. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure some friends are, you know, criticizing me right now and they're like yeah but when you were hooking up with that australian and then that german <laughs> and that guy from africa and that one guy from central america but you know that's that's besides the point i mean they would have gone just go regardless sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i needed a souvenir and the keychain just doesn't cut it anymore Well, Roman Reimer, yes. I do want to say again, thank you so much thank for you. having me and letting me shout out for the You Better Work Comedy Fiesta. 
in its virtual premiere tonight at 7.30 p.m. Yeah, and can you please just share the website one more time for folks? Yes. Thank you. It is www.hesuubetterwork.com. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing you online tonight, as well as all the other great folks that you have booked. Yeah, I'm really excited. Well, let's see, we'll see how how things turn out. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time, you know. Nice. Even if a little mishap here and there, it's gonna be fun with a PH. <laughs> cool. Sweet. <laughs> yes, and of course, again, it's being uh, through Zoom and through Facebook Live, and of course, all the, all the Zoom information is posted on my website. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks again so much for, for calling in and sharing this information with us and for continuing to do comedy. It's it's so appreciated. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Roman. Yeah, I don't get told that too often, not the comedy part, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> always been a pleasure since, I believe, I don't remember when Weekly Review started, but it was a couple years back. Yeah, 2013. When was that? Uh, 2013. 2013? Yeah, oh, December wow. of 2013. Oh Maybe I I met you in 2014 then. Well, regardless, the fact that you still allow me to come on to the weekly review and oh. give a shout out or just even converse, I really appreciate it. Oh. Always a pleasure. You're always welcome. It's always good to hear from you. Thank you, Roman. Thank you. Have a fabulous weekend. Thanks, you too. Rest shelter in place, get some fresh air safely, mm-hmm. and just also you continue to do your magic because oh, we I, need it. I will try. Okay, and then at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. Yep. <laughs> will do. For me, it's not really my shoulder, which is for a lot of people, it's mine when dust yourself off and try again. Yeah. I mean, it's my knee, but you know, whatever part of your body is applicable. Okay. <laughs> Sounds mm-hmm. good. Thank you, Roman, again. Thank you, Jesus. Love you. Love you, too. Take care. All right, Thank you, you too. to all your beautiful listeners with the weekly review. Gracias. Bye. Thank you. Gracias. Mwah. Mwah. Bye. Uh, I have a, a big smile on my face. I always do after seeing and or speaking with Jesus. So please do check out the show tonight at 730. We are just about to wrap up the show here. Do you want to play one more song before... We go, and this is a new release. It's on Bandcamp, and um, you can find it um, innocente.bandcamp.com. This is called Quarantine Feels. Um, also, again, please do support artists and local media. Like 48 Hills has a fundraiser up, like local journalists, local artists. Lots of folks need um, help. The Lion Martin fundraiser, lots of folks. Mutiny um, Radio, please do help out if you can. Um, yeah, so you can find this at, oh no, uh, I just got logged out. Oh yes, it's uh, Innocente, which is I-N-O-C-E-N-T-E dot bandcamp dot com. This is called Quarantine Feels. We'll have, I, I didn't get to everything today, but there'll be a lot more information, I'm sure, next week. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I do share a lot of info that I share on the show, plus more. Um, say hi, interact with me, that's cool. Uh, my Twitter handle is at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. Um, thanks again to all listeners out there. Thanks to Jesus for calling in. Thanks to all the folks out there doing a lot of work to help liberate others. Cool. All right. So this is Quarantine Feels, 
and we'll be back with another show next week. Um, have a great weekend, everyone. The best week that one can have. Uh, take care. And <laughs> just one moment here while we get the, uh, there we go, get the sound up, and we'll start this again. A podcast. Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, 
Listen to the weekly review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the weekly review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs>
Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Barn Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special, a shot of bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh yeah, it goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Coming at these bitches and all these snitches hitting switches going back. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their, their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. <laughs> For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bear exoskeleton contessa. 
and check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, six to eight on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone kept positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THCT. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew! Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother!